Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 60 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Carrie Ray, along with the rest of the crew. In celebration of St. Patty's Day and Celtica's new CD, Celtic Fire, we are pleased to announce that they are our musical guests this month. We'll listen to our interview with them and enjoy some music from their new CD. We welcome the return of our old friend Mike Buby. Jeff Tryon shares another essay, Carrie Ray has a new for a song, and we'll talk to Ted Armstrong about mountain biking in Brown County. Jim Eagleman shares a story about trees. Chuck Wills has another This Old Guitar. Rick Fettig shares some family musings. And Dave Seastrom talks about the forest. In the first segment of the show, we begin with an interview with Celtica. Mike Buby shares a family story, Carrie Ray has a new for a song, and we'll close with a Celtica tune entitled Country Dance. So it is our privilege to have Celtica in, and this is not the first time. They're celebrating the release of their new CD, Celtic Fire. And uh, Tamara, you want to go ahead and uh, introduce everybody and talk about the band and let us know. I mean, we got a whole slew of people here. Sure, we've got part of the band here. We have Jeff Foster, who did the recording in his studio, and Carolyn Dutton, who played fiddle. Oh, Jeff played guitar, bass, drums. Carolyn played fiddle. Um, Tim Dooley, who plays guitar, boron, and uh, bazooki, mandolin. We also have, who's not here tonight, Clancy Clements, who plays a variety of bagpipes and penny whistles, and Tom Lozano, who played hurdy-gurdy and other percussive instruments. And I'm Tamara Lane, and I did uh, piano keys and hammer dulcimer on this CD. Excellent. Okay, well, I just have to interject now at this point. I I was going to try to wait. By the way, this is Carrie. Uh, Ray and I, I was gonna wait to interject and get down to the nitty gritty of the music side of things, but I just after that sort of introduction, I just can't wait. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'm used to being in bands where you know maybe somebody plays an instrument or two, or you kind of have that Swiss Army knife in the band that plays a few instruments. But it, is this sort of a thing in Celtic music that that folks jump in and play a lot of different instruments? And kind of what does that tradition come from? Um, I think a lot of musicians in Celtic music do play multiple instruments. Um, I'm a classically trained pianist, but I have an interest in some of these other instruments. So I have about nine that I do total. Well, only I'm remembering that when you were with us the last time, you had a uh, hurdy-gurdy. 
Yes, and we have a hurdy-gurdier, hurdy-gurdy player. Hurdy, gurdy, gurdy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a word? I'm glad I'm not the only person who does that. <laughs> a hurdy-gurdy player who is far better than I am. So when he yeah. plays, I don't. So Okay. So would anybody else like to kind of speak up about, were you always multi-instrumentalist, or is that something you sort of moved into more as you moved into Celtic music? or The Celtic music introduced me to the mandolin and to the Irish uh, bazooki and to the uh, boron drum. So if it wasn't for Celtic music, I probably wouldn't play those instruments. And okay. it's just been a lot of fun to to learn as I go on it. So. Yeah. Well, and I've noticed that a lot of Irish instruments are portable. And that might have something to do with being a multi-instrumentalist. I mean, if you know, if your main instrument is piano, that's kind of hard to haul around. And, <laughs> you know, but if you've got a tin whistle and a drum and a few other things. Well, yeah. there's field organ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen one of, those, Ta one of your shows. Tammy plays field organ, which is like a scaled-down version of a you know Hammond B3 or something. Uh -huh. uh, All my instruments are heavy for the most part. I, I sometimes wonder why I didn't decide to play flute. That would have been much easier. I say that sometimes when I'm carrying a guitar, a guitar case. I say, why couldn't I have played piccolo exactly. and, or, or something? No. You know, I, I don't know. Well, speaking as a fiddle player. Well, there you go. Speaking of piccolos. <laughs> since I only play playing the fiddle. A resident specialist Actually, over yeah. here. I have played the field organ on a few tunes. That's right. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, but the fiddle yeah. player in, in, in an Irish group is pretty busy all the time. Yeah. Well, you're like the lead <laughs> guitar player in a rock band. More or less, I mean, let's yeah. Let's just call I it what it is, right? You're the yeah. shredder that's of the true. band. That's true. That's true. Carolyn shreds on this CD. And I, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, you get tired. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. I think it's good to have, just play one instrument. Right. So some people play multiple instruments and some people play multiple notes. Is that what you're trying to say? That's exactly right. That's true. So what number uh, CD is this for the band? And does this represent just kind of more amazing music or there is there any sort of new ground broken on this project it's celtica's second cd mm -hmm. our first one was called labyrinth walk and it was more meditative music for the purpose of a prayer walk uh, that mm -hmm. we had been asked to do sure on winter solstice night a few years back and it worked really well for that so this one i decide would be all high energy pieces to sort of counterbalance that it's all traditional tunes that we have done our progressive thing with which actually just gives us license to do what we want to do with these tunes but Tim and Jeff wrote a piece, so there is one original. We have an event coming up at the Brown County Inn. Mm -hmm. Tell Saint us Patrick's about that. Night. Yeah, St. Patrick's Night, Friday, March 17th. We'll be doing a two-hour concert in the Town Hall Banquet Room. And then immediately after, our bagpiper will pipe everybody into the Corn Crib Lounge, and we'll have our CD release party in there. Excellent. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. Kind of like the Pied Piper of Nashville. I see. Right, <laughs> they'll just right. sort of pipe into the lounge yes. and they'll disappear. <laughs> We're not going to do a concert in there. They'll play our CD and sure. there might be some inspirational jamming yeah. or something. But It'll be kind of like a listening party slash party, party. slash jam. Right. Yeah. And a cake. And, and a cake. Oh, yeah. right. It's got to be so cake. A traditional Irish yeah. cake then. Yeah. I don't with, know. Maybe with our CD cover on it. I What's a know. traditional Irish cake? Salt bread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Soda bread. Right. Soda, yeah. Soda, yeah. Bread, right. Yeah. Soda bread, yeah. But, may I say about this album, it, it's traditional tunes, but they're presented in a rather alarming way. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not your kind of traditional, dainty, sweet little Irish Lilting, piping. Sort no, of. not it. It's uh, some of the numbers are quite bombastic. Okay. <laughs> well, we cranked it up with, uh, yeah. with electric bass and drums. You know, mm -hmm. uh, no electric guitar though. I mean, it was uh, 
You have a fiddle. You don't need electric guitar, right? That is true. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> you have an electric fiddle on this one. Yeah. Yeah, the fiddle's electric. Well, it's plugged in. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, the sound is a little different. It's not that dainty, sweet Irish stuff you usually hear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else that uh, you'd like folks to know about? Do you, do you have a Facebook page? Do you have a website? Yes, we have both. We have a Facebook page. Um, just uh, type in Celtica and we'll pop up there. Okay. And then our, fa our uh, website is Celticaband.com. Our music's on there, and there's uh, links to all of our social sites uh, is on our website. So it's, not Cel it's not Celticband.com. It's Celtica, Celtica. with yeah, a, with a Celticaband.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Otherwise, so you don't get us. Sure. No. Right. And the new CD is called Celtic Fire, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. And it will <laughs> be releasing on that Friday. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the uh, Brown County Inn in the Town Hall Room, correct? Right. And then the uh, CD release after party uh, will be directly following. Right. Excellent. In the same building. Friday. So if we're, if we're interested in your future gigs, that's all posted on your website, your it's Facebook page? It's all on our page? website, yes. Excellent. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, faithful radio listeners. This is Mike Buby on WFHB with the Brown County Hour. I'm sure that, like myself, there were times while growing up, certain things happened that you'll always remember. Well, let me share one of mine, and I'll start it out with this. I have a tale to tell. It happened long ago. Some details may have been forgotten, but I'll tell you what I know. I don't know how it came into the family, but when I was a young boy, I remember that my grandpa had a gun standing in the corner behind his bedroom door. It looked rather small and simple, but the most interesting thing about it was its octagon barrel. I found out later that it was called a single-shot, rolling-block, 22 caliber rifle. The manufacturer of this particular gun had its beginnings in the early 1900s. I never knew of Grandpa ever hunting with it, but I knew it was always standing there in the corner behind the bedroom door. For curiosity or whatever reason, I always made it a point to check on it whenever we visited our grandparents. Finally, one day, I asked my mom about it. I figured it would be safer to ask her first rather than to have Grandpa think that I was a nosy little kid. So my mom told me a rather funny story about her dad and the gun, a story that was not so funny at the time. She said my grandpa always worked the night shift, so when he would get home early in the morning, he wanted his rest and went right to bed. As it turned out, there were times grandpa wasn't able to sleep very well. The routine noises of the day's activities going on would keep him awake, especially one particular sound that was quite annoying to him. I was told that after a long spell of much complaining about it to Grandma, Grandpa decided he had had enough. 
It was after getting home early one morning from a rough night's work. Grandpa was pretty darn tired and laid right down only to be woken once again by the harmonious and relentless sound that aggravated him to no end. It must have been on the hourly chiming of the cuckoo clock because Grandpa evidently had had enough time to grab his trusty rolling block 22 rifle sight in and lay the cuckoo bird to rest. Yes, the annoying sound of the cuckoo bird that hung on the bedroom wall had been silenced so Grandpa could finally get his rest. Mom didn't say, but I would suspect that Grandma didn't go to investigate the situation until she heard Grandpa snoring soundly. And that also explained why the cuckoo clock never worked for as long as I can remember. Throughout the years, the gun itself had since been passed on somewhere else. Even though the little gun with an octagon barrel is gone, my memories of it standing in the corner behind the bedroom door and what my mom had told me still makes for the entertaining story of the day the cuckoo died. So there you have it, folks. You heard it first on your favorite radio station, WFHB. Till next time, this is Mike Buby on the Brown County Hour with a true tale from the past. I'm Carrie Ray with another installment a forest song. I found myself thinking and talking about crows a lot lately. Recently, at a fundraiser for the local Raptor Center, a crow named Alistair was one of the ambassadors in the room. We, of course, were amazed by the intelligence, even humor and attitude displayed by the bird, learning that crows are considered to rival primates in intelligence. We also learned how family-oriented they are, how they connect, help one another, and play together. All interesting information for certain, but there are other behaviors exhibited by crows that I am even more enamored with. Firstly, crows are collectors. In the wild, they most often collect food. In urban areas and in captivity, they collect all sorts of things, often shiny things, and will even gift them to humans they like. They also store them in caches for a later date, perhaps when there's a shortage of food or well, shiny things. I think the best of songwriters, writers in general really, are collectors, collecting experiences, ideas, and observations. Some apply directly to a particular or general narrative, and some, maybe the most important ones, simply broaden perspective and relative existence in a way that informs their process and deepens the well from which they draw. Now, our little dog is a collector of sorts as well. She's a schnauzer with shaggy little legs and a beard that are magnets for leaves, sticks, ticks, and burrs, none of which we really care for her to drag into the house. The lesson here? Be careful what you collect. Judgments, opinions, prejudices, limiting conversations and the like can be easy to attract and sometimes hard to let go of. Observations about these sorts of ideas are one thing, but allowing them to take root and become part of the filter with which you see the world is quite another. Part of a writer's charge is to get out of their own way as much as is possible. Crows are 
also storytellers. Studies have shown that they not only remember and discern, but also have the ability to relay that in real time to each other. Furthermore, they teach future generations to make it clear that certain things need to be taught. So they not only teach, but teach others to teach. Likewise, I think that the songs that come to a songwriter are meant to be shared and shared again. And at best, may just model and encourage the idea of sharing between us in general. Now, wouldn't that be something? Finally, they understand the need for each other. They stick together in couples, families, and murders. Yes, that's right. A group of crows is called a murder. Cool, huh? They look out for each other, help each other, share stories, feed, and teach each other. Sounds like a pretty good model for songwriters. <laughs> Hell, sounds to me like a pretty good model for humans. So next time you have a minute, or even if you don't, look up. Around here, you're likely to see some crows. Then take a deep breath, watch, learn, and for crying out loud, share. I'm Carrie Ray, calling to you from the hills of Brown County, wishing you Godspeed and hoping you'll join me next time on For a Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on For a Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C-A-R-I-R-A-Y.com. Thanks for listening.
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB and the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. Segment two begins with a conversation about mountain biking in Brown County with Tad Armstrong. Jim Eagleman shares a story about trees. Jeff Tryon has a new essay. And we'll hear another tune from Celtica. Now the green blade rises. This evening we have Tad Armstrong with us, and he is the owner of Hesitation Point Bicycle Shop, uh, but he is also a member of the Hoosier Mountain Bike Association. Hi, Tad. Nice to meet you. Hello. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, let's, I don't know where to begin, so let's start with your bike shop. Uh, I remember that you guys got flooded out. We did, yeah. About a year and a half ago, we had, when the Salt Creek came over the levee, we had about two feet of water in the shop and we'd only been in that location for a few months so it was (laughs) quite a surprise yeah Yeah. it stung yeah but we also had 28 people show up on a saturday to help us clean up after the flood and people from the mountain bike community people from the bloomington bicycle club and and locals that knew about it that's great helped us clean up and put things back in order so yeah we were really fortunate yeah so, uh, needless to say, you're, that's behind you now. That's right. Yep. We're moving on. All uphill from there. Chuck has just asked, is, is there any uh, road riding components to this? We're pretty much a mountain bike shop at this point, but we do maintenance on road bikes. Um, we sell you know, parts and components for road bikes. There's a ton of great road riding around here. Um, what we found is that First of all, we're a half a mile from the trailhead in the state park, um, so most of our customers are mountain bikers anyway, um, but it's what we love to do, so rather than try and do a little bit of everything, we wanted to be really good at one thing, and myself and Gonzo, my business partner, we're both mountain bikers, it's what we love, and so that's what we focus on. So. In terms of the Hoosier Mountain Bike Association, um, I also understand that the Brown County State Park has just achieved a bronze rating. You want to talk about that? That's right. Uh, The International Mountain Bike Association, or IMBA, has a rating system for what they call ride centers uh, around the world, which are um, basically tourist destinations for mountain bikers. They have three different levels, bronze, silver, and gold. Um, until last year, there was only one gold ride center, but they've expanded it now, so I think there are about half a dozen maybe. But uh, Brown County recently achieved bronze status, so we're now an official 
IMBA Ride Center. Well, what is the criteria for that? Is it difficulty? Is it beauty? Is it diversity? Or um, They have a, a formula that they use. There are certain things that you have to have. There's a certain number of, of trail, miles of trail that an area needs to have, and then they have to have certain amenities, um, places to stay, places to eat. There's got to be a bike shop. So I think IMBA actually comes out and does a visit and kind of evaluates the place, and then there's a rating system they use. Is this like the mystery shopper? You don't know when he shows up. He's just a guy on a bicycle, or uh, I, well, I knew when they, when they were here. Okay, I think yeah, probably most people would never know. Yeah, they look like all the other mountain bikers. Well, well, well you would hope so. Uh, but now you guys build and maintain these trails, and uh, as I understand it, you build and maintain them and pay to use them. Well, yes, that's correct. Now, the, the trails are generally professionally designed, so we do a lot of times hire a professional to come and survey the land and actually lay out the trail. But as far as getting in there and bench cutting and, and digging the trail, we do that, and we, we do go in and do weekly maintenance throughout the year. And most of the new trail in Yellowwood State Forest has all been hand-built by volunteers from HMBA. So, yeah, and then maintenance is an ongoing thing. Uh, anytime trails are used, they're going to need to be maintained also. And this is to prevent erosion and to maintain the quality of the trail? Yeah, now we try and build the trails um, to be sustainable to begin with. Um, and we've only been building mountain bike trails for, for a few decades now, so we're so, still learning. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but you have some expertise in this. Yeah, absolutely. But we keep getting better, and hopefully newer trails are going to need less maintenance. But. Also, when people ride trails in poor conditions, when trails are muddy or wet, it can do damage to trails, and then we need to go in and make repairs for that. So. But you allow people to ride anytime they want. Well, HMBA does not have the power to keep people off of trails. We do have a rating system that we use to try and discourage people from riding when conditions are not good, but um, we're not the trail police, so we don't keep people off. This of is like the fire danger stuff, the, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Muddy, don't ride. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, you've just greatly expanded your trails and uh, connected a bunch of different pieces of property. That's right. Um, well, we were able to gain access to Yellowwood State Forest within the last couple of years. And so using some of the existing fire roads there, and then we've been able to um, build some new trail there, that added a bunch of mileage. And then within the past year, we've been able to get access and connect Yellowwood with Brown County State Park via the 10 o'clock line trail, and then also with Hoosier National Forest via uh, Trail D, which some of which was newly cut by the Forest Service this year. So now we have well over 100 miles of connected trail, probably closer to 200 at this point. So now that should be moving you closer to the silver or gold then. I would think so, yeah. I, I know that IMBA uh, reevaluates periodically, so hopefully we can kick it up a notch next time they evaluate us. Well, uh, it sounds like your group is really, uh, you know, you do what you love, but you're directly responsible for it too, and there's something marvelous about that. I think that's part of the reason we've had... Um, so much success gaining access to properties and why we've been able to maintain a pretty good relationship 
with, um, with land management agencies is because we build the trails, we create value there, but then we also maintain them. So it becomes sort of a hassle-free, self-maintaining, um, theoretically, hopefully, a moneymaker for the DNR or for the Forest Service. Now, do you, have, do you guys have any events coming up, or do you do those things? We do, yeah. Um, there's actually a, a big mountain bike festival here in Brown County every October, which is also the main fundraiser for HMBA, for the Hoosier Mountain Bike Association, for the year. Um, it's called the Brown County Epic. And I believe this, in 2017, it's the second weekend in October. I'd have to look at a calendar to be absolutely certain. Do you guys have a web page or a Facebook page? Yeah, hmba.org is the website, and then there is a Facebook page for Hoosier Mountain Bike Association. Well, excellent. We've been speaking with Tad Armstrong, who is the owner of Hesitation Point, and thank you so much for coming in, Tad. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hello again, this is Jim Eagleman with another Nature News segment on the Brown County Hour on WFHB-FM Radio. Some time ago, I wrote an article on our Brown County magazine entitled The Wooden Deck. In it, I described a place I like to go in our woods every morning to listen to birds, lay out on my pad, and practice yoga. Laying prone on my back, I look up into the tree canopy overhead and watch the trees' upper branches sway and move to the wind. I imagine the life of a tree. How do they grow, use solar energy to their advantage, and more intriguing to me, how does a tree's plumbing system work? This may not be your way of looking at trees, but my curious mind has always gotten the better of me, and I contemplate these things. Roots absorb water and nutrients from the soil, and they also help anchor the tree. We learned this early on in our elementary science class. We also learned that trees produce oxygen while they absorb the carbon dioxide given off by all breathing creatures. This gas exchange is one of the most fundamental relationships in nature. Plants give us what we need, and we give plants what they need. This cannot be overstated. It is vitally important as water to all living creatures. What is even more amazing, though, is how water can be absorbed up through the tree's inner wood to reach the leaf surface perhaps 100 feet or more in the air. Have you ever wondered how this happens? The behavior of water molecules in the interior part of the wood moving against and defying gravity has always astounded me. In college, when I attended a dendrology class at a summer field station, and to make an impact, the professor hung a sign on a tree. The sign said, something amazing is happening here. I think he was right. While a tree's water transport mechanism can be likened to our own circulatory system of veins and arteries, it's best to visualize a tree's vast network of conduits consisting of xylem and phloem tissue. This tissue, made up of many tiny microscopic tubes, starts at the roots and transects up through the trunk into the branches and into every leaf. The phloem is made of living elongated cells that are connected to each other. Phloem tissue is responsible for locating nutrients and sugars into the areas of the tree that require growth. I always remember this action of phloem when I say to myself, phloem flows down. Xylem cells are also elongated and conduct water up the tree. Each xylem vessel 
may be only several microns in diameter. Different from phylum, xylem is a continuous water column that extends from the roots to the leaves. Well, where are these tubes located? If you've ever looked at a cross section of a tree, one that was recently cut, and allows you to count the growth rings, the xylem and phloem is located in an area of the wood known as the sapwood. It is living tissue and located just inside the inner bark and the cambium later within an inch or so from the outer bark. The main part of a tree, the heartwood, is non-living. It adds support and strength, but it is not needed for growth. This is why when you see a hollow tree with leaves, it's still living. The sapwood is still intact, while the non-living inner heartwood has rotted away. Now visualize a continuous tube from the root to the underside of the leaf. When a water droplet is evaporated off the underside of a leaf in a process called transpiration and usually occurring at night, and at a site called the stoma on the underside of the leaf, water pressure within the system changes and creates a tiny suction at the root level. Due to the cohesive nature of water inside the narrow xylem tube, the degree of water tension or vacuum required to drive water up through the xylem can be easily obtained through normal transpiration rates that occur in leaves. Simply put, for every water molecule evaporated off the leaf surface, another one has taken up the root hair. The moisture we see over many Brown County hills each morning and summer hasn't blown in overnight from any nearby lake. It results from the surplus collecting on the undersides of the leaves of the many trees. By mid-morning, most have evaporated off the leaf and into the atmosphere. Another way of thinking about humidity is that it's a surplus amount of water that was taken up by the roots. I've heard that a good-sized, healthy, growing sugar maple within a 24-hour period in summer can give off as much as 40 gallons of water. No wonder the forest is a humid place. Mark Twain once said, the more you explain it, the less I understand it. I hope this brief explanation of a tree's plumbing system, how it is that water moves up a tree, helps you understand one of the more unique features of these Brown County woods. Thanks for listening. For comments and questions, please contact me, Jim Eagleman, at this station's email address, studio at browncountyhour.com. This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County, Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own, what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. How to ignore someone. Now listen up and pay attention, because I'm going to tell you how to ignore someone. Have you noticed that lately it seems like everybody is talking all the time, but nobody, but nobody seems to be listening? It's easy and fun to just not pay a bit of attention to whatever the other guy is saying while you sit there and think about what you are going to say to him if he ever stops blabbing on about his stuff. Of course, over time, it becomes a lot less like a conversation, an exchange of ideas, and a lot more like two people just firing off salvos of verbiage at one another at maximum speed and with minimum effect. You're probably not going to accomplish anything this way, but at least you didn't have to think about anything but your own ideas or, heaven forbid, waste any of your own precious time considering anything that anyone else has to say. Another common method of ignoring someone is to already know what they are going to say. 
When we already know what someone is going to say, we can just switch off the audio and start thinking about our rebuttal, about what we're going to say back to them. Problem is, you don't necessarily know what someone's going to say. Not really. Not unless you really listen to them. When we label people, when we say he's a liberal or he's a conservative, it's easy to make the next jump in non-logical thinking. And he's a this, so he thinks that. And since I already know what those people think, I don't have to listen to what they're saying at all. And then we're off to the races, tilting at our own favorite windmills, wrestling our own particular bugbears. And quite often, we haven't bothered to actually listen to the other person at all. Or maybe we know someone really well. We've heard their whole line of baloney before and many occasions, so we just switch off the audio and start thinking about how to divert them away from their favorite topic. We aren't really listening at all. We're just assuming they're going to say the same old things that they always say again. But guess what? People change. Over time, they do sometimes. They change, but we still have them pegged and pigeonholed the way we would like to think of them, which is very convenient for us but not reality at all, if you know what I mean. We cannot listen to someone because they have no status to speak, no right to an opinion on this subject. But anybody can have a good idea. Even a blind hog finds a good nut now and then. If you don't listen because this person couldn't possibly have anything to say you would be interested in, you are inevitably going to miss something interesting and also the delight of realizing that, intellectually speaking, even a blind hog finds a nut every now and then, often without even realizing it, which makes it all the more exhilarating and delightful. When we don't listen to people, we miss things. We miss a lot of stuff we meant to miss that we honestly don't care about, but we also miss some things that are worth hearing, worth knowing, worth thinking about. Unless your mind is permanently closed like some copper mine in Montana, nothing going in or out anymore, and all that's left in there is toxic sludge, that is one way to go through life. But you know what? It will not kill you to listen to someone for a few minutes, even if you aren't particularly interested in what they have to say. Even if you know you don't like it and feel the need to violently disagree, still, showing them the common courtesy of listening is taking the high road, showing respect for our common human experience. I may think you are an idiot, but I don't really know that until I've actually listened to you. That's why Abraham Lincoln said, it is better to remain quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Listening is powerful. Listening can be healing and therapeutic. In the world we live in today, everybody but everybody is talking, 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 but nobody seems to be listening. Why, just the other day I, hey, I'm talking to you. I'm trying to explain to you about listening. It's for the Brown County Radio Hour, you know, my Brown County. Brown County Radio Hour. Oh, never mind.
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB and the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. Our final segment begins with Chuck Wills presenting another segment of This Old Guitar. Rick Fettig shares some family mustings. Dave Seastrom talks about the forest. And we'll close with the final tune from Celtica, Sailor's Return. Welcome to This Old Guitar, where we learn about the instruments that inspire local musicians and the stories behind them. This is my 1963 Harmony Hollywood, and it looks like a lot of old guitars might. It's an acoustic instrument, but it has a little gold-colored pickup on it so that you can plug it into an amplifier. In many ways, it's just another faded old guitar with a worn and cracked sunburst finish. The white edge binding that was painted on at the factory is now worn down to bare wood from years of use. To me, it looks like a guitar that my blues heroes might have played back in the day, maybe with a bottleneck slide. This assembly of wood and strings would not be special, if not for the fact that it is special. It's special to me. You see, my dad bought this guitar back when it was almost new in 1963 and had it with him when he moved to San Diego, California to go to photography school. Can you imagine the scene of being in Southern California in the early 60s? The surf and the sand, the Beach Boys, Dick Dale, they were all getting their start. Leo Fender was changing the face of music with his amplifiers and his instruments, and this guitar was there. When Dad bought it, I think his idea was just to hang out with friends and play some music, maybe catch the ear of some pretty California girls. I know he and his friends had fun with it though, because a lot of the finish was worn off when I first saw it. The little harmony followed Dad back from California to his childhood home in the Ozarks of Missouri, and later on to Indianapolis. And not long after that, I appeared on the scene, and the guitar lived in the hall closet for most of my youth. As a child, I would sometimes pull it out of the case and marvel at the sounds that I could make with it, but it always went back into the space beneath the stairs. That is, until I decided to drag it with me on an adventure after college. Commandeered and saved from the closet and strapped to the back of my Jeep, this guitar and I spent the summer traveling the country from one national park to the next. The harmony that started in California made a swing back through the state with me, going from Yosemite to San Francisco and all the way up Highway 1 to Seattle. Those were good times, and it wouldn't have been the same without that guitar. Some 20 years later, I found myself in Nashville, working as a musician, among other things. Along with a collection of guitars, I still have the harmony. 
It has a little more finish worn off, but plays as sweetly as ever. In fact, we used it in the recording studio on an album that I played on recently. An old school guitar with an old school sound that has developed over the years and the miles and the mojo from the hands that have played it. When I look at this guitar on my wall, it's more than just an instrument. I see connections. A connection with the blues legends that played slide guitar and juke joints down in the Delta. A connection to 60s Southern California, to my dad's stories and history. Even a connection to my own memories and to the possibility of what might be next. There's more life in this instrument, certainly on into the next generation that gets to care for it. When Dad first strummed a chord on this Harmony Hollywood in 1963, neither he nor the guitar could imagine what would be coming in the next 55 years. But I am grateful for its stories, that I have gotten to be its caretaker. I'm grateful that this is my old guitar. All right, well, enough about all that stuff. I'd like to talk a little bit about me. We all have these series of events that make up our lives. I want to give you some highlights of my life. It's not really about me. I'm just using me as an example. There is a point to all this, so hang in there. I was born in Bethesda, Maryland. I flew home when I was 19 days old, and I was raised by two women for two years, a mother and a daughter, the daughter being my mom. My dad was in the Navy. That's why I was in Bethesda. My mom had seven brothers, and I have heard stories about them tossing me across the living room like a football, so I had some male exposure also. I was the youngest and the shortest in my class, so I was always the last one called at recess for the ball games and et cetera, et cetera. I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy. Our front doors of my house were directly across the street from the front doors of the church. So I had nowhere to go if I wanted to skip school, so I ended up attending and getting perfect attendance, and that carried through all 12 years of school. I went to Vincennes, I went to Purdue, I went to IU. I have an associate's degree in theology, but that association is defunct now. You know how those cults are. They're here one day and gone the other. In the 60s and 70s, I had long hair, and I would believe strongly in peace versus Vietnam. We all live the daily events that form a timeline, a thread that forms the fabric of our lives. The fabric affects and influences the decisions we make daily. There are very few absolutes in our lives and thus in our decisions. It's sort of a sliding scale. Are you for this and against that? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Is it 60-40, 30-70, 25-70? Are you left, right? Are you Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative? Should we clear-cut the forest or let it be? Migrants, immigrants, pot, potpourri, pontus, wind, solar, coal, gas, fracking. Where do you stand? Democracy is like a stew, carrots, potatoes, beans, and meat. It's a mix of all our personalities and positions collectively toward our decision-making. This fabric which develops around my life and your life, and the life of all humanity, ideally becomes a safety net to support us all. We are the strongest and most influential country in the world. A lot of the numeric analysis compare the U.S. to other countries. We have states bigger than a lot of other countries. America may not, at this moment, seem like a well-oiled machine, but we are a functioning machine. 
and as we tighten a few nuts and bolts, check the fluids and belts, let's move forward knowing and believing we and America will maintain our position and function in the world. Again, ideally, we make group and cultural decisions somewhere in the happy medium area. Not everyone is really happy and gets everything they want, but few are real sad. It's a coexistence. How can you disregard or totally blow off an opposing position and not listen as though they are merely another opinion with different information? Rodney King said, why can't we all just get along? I say, let's move forward and take care of each other. This is Rick Fettig with the Brown County Hour. It's no surprise that the producers and many of our regular contributors to the Brown County Hour are strong supporters of forest preservation. We live in Brown County for a variety of reasons, and the immediacy of nature in our environment is certainly one of them. Our home is the most forested county in the state of Indiana, and it's hard to imagine that anyone who lives here does not love the woods. This is a completely bipartisan issue that is not defined by age or economic circumstances. We may not agree about much else, but we all agree this forest we love is our home and that it defines and nurtures us. Historically, Indiana was about 80% forest. The glaciated flatlands to the north were quickly cleared and converted into farmland. For most of the country, farming defines Indiana. And why would you think otherwise? When driving across our state, what travelers see is the great expanse of corn and soybean fields that comprise the vast majority of our landscape. Few of our major highways travel through the rolling hills and forests that dominate the southern third of Indiana. So it could be forgiven if most folks have a false impression about our state. When you look at a map of our state, there is one area in south central Indiana that's completely green indicating the degree of forestation, and that would be Brown County. To be sure, there are many great forests to the south of us, and we're grateful this is the case. But in this and many other ways, we stand alone. We pay a big price for this privilege. Because we have such a high percentage of state and federal forests, Brown County State Park, and many large church camps, the vast majority of land in our county is tax-exempt. This causes a huge strain on our schools, police, fire protection, and other emergency services because they're chronically underfunded. We're also facing massive deforestation because of the management decisions about how to fund the Department of Natural Resources. Their budget was severely cut about 12 years ago, and in that time, we've seen a 400% increase in the rate of logging to compensate for the loss. There are arguments on both sides of this issue, but many of us observe that the bottom line is always the bottom line. Yesterday, February 20th, 2017, many people from all over the state of Indiana converged in the State House in Indianapolis to participate in the Rally for the Trees. This was truly an historic event and one of the largest of its kind in recent memory. More than 650 people gathered in a great hall in the south atrium of the Capitol building to listen to a series of speakers and great music while sharing camaraderie and the fellowship with other forest supporters. Because it was President's Day, there were many children there who were bussed in from all over the state so they could also participate. The mood was joyful as we listened to one inspirational speaker after another, all of them confirming the need to preserve some of our forests. 
I had the privilege to address this gathering, and I would like to share the last portion of my statement. A forest is not a collection of trees. Many of us believe that a forest is a living entity comprised of many interdependent life forms that need each other in order to prosper. If you have not yet had the chance, I encourage you to read The Hidden Lives of Trees by German forester Peter Wolben. It's a New York Times bestseller available in bookstores near you. In it, Mr. Wolben very poetically explains how trees live and thrive in an undisturbed forest, and he does it so much better than I can. What we are asking for is the state of Indiana to set aside 10% of our state forests for preservation and multi-use recreation. If this effort is successful, eventually these areas will become mature forests that our grandchildren's grandchildren will be able to enjoy in perpetuity. We believe our state forests should be managed with consideration to all Hoosiers and not just the logging industry. We have before us a real opportunity to save a portion of this forest and encourage our lawmakers to consider preservation as part of the management mix. Before I finish my remarks, I would like to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to attend this rally. It's an amazing sight to see so many of you here today. We have come from the far corners of Indiana to speak truth to power, and today we have made our voices heard. May the forest be with you. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time.
On Saturday, March 11th, from 10 a.m. to noon, the League of Women Voters will be sponsoring a state legislators forum with Eric Cook and Chris May in the county office building in Nashville. Thanks for tuning in to episode 60 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of the month at 9 a.m. and now at our new time the following Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse bunch of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.